Like it or not, Yeshua taught Hasidic Judaism before Hasidic Judaism was even a thing. If you hope to make a point, then you better rely upon primary and secondary sources and not YouTube theology. Did not Yeshua say Yeshuot v'yelachim is of the Yehudim? When Hashem says in Deuteronomy to listen to the rulings of the Sanhedrin or the penalty of death, I don't think he was kidding. If you're a sacred namer, a two-house theologian, a chirite, a one-Torah theologian, and you reject the rabbis and the sages, get ready to have your foundation be rocked. Alrighty. Shalom, everybody. And uh, here we're going to be starting on Chapter 5 of the Garden of Peace, a marital guide for men, um, under the chapter Honor Your Wife. You know, honestly, at this point in my life, this is a very hard um, series to be doing right now, in all honesty. Um, but the thing is that I promised to do this series for you guys, and also at the same time, as I go through this book, as I've gone through it many times, this is my third copy of this book, um, the thing that I always go to it for is for personal correction, personal tikkun, and sometimes it's hard. It's hard on us to be able to acknowledge that we need our own our own tikkun, our own soul correction, especially in these kinds of matters that deal with marriage, relationship, and all that stuff, and to look to Hashem in terms of all of these things. So let's go in and see what it is that Rabbi Shalom Arush has to tell us in this uh, book here today. Uh, opening the chapter, he says this. He says, Unlike a man whose principal evil inclination is the lust for forbidden sexual relationships, a woman's principal evil inclination is her desire for honor. A woman longs for honor more than anything in the world, specifically from her husband, and she will go to any lengths to get it. This is what our sages meant when they said, women are lightheaded because she is given honor and a few kind words a woman can be swayed in any direction. Um... In terms of this, you know, I have to agree and disagree with Rabbi Shalom Arush. Um, first of all, women are not stupid, okay? They're on a higher mandrega than us men are in many ways and shapes and forms. Um, they're not easily swayed. Definitely not, you know. Um, I can give many instances in my life to where it is that uh, a woman that I had dated for a year, you know, one thing I wanted her and I took care of her because she had MS. And 
for an entire year, I was trying to get her to maybe wash a dish every now and then, or maybe to pick up after herself. And the thing about that was no matter what it is that I did, um, these things wouldn't get done, you know, and all that stuff. And see, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, would constantly, you know, whenever she wanted something to eat or something like that, um, you know, even if it was, you know, I just got off of work, didn't want to go anywhere, but she's like, oh, I want McDonald's, you know, I would go and do that and all this stuff. And, and I really don't think in all honesty that women can be swayed in the way that Rabbi Shalom Arush says in this part. Okay. But let us go on to what else he says here. A woman's joy and vitality comes from the honor she receives from her husband. He's absolutely correct about this. Honor from other people in her world just doesn't satisfy her. If her husband, the most important person in her life, doesn't honor her, no matter what else she has in her life, no matter how many other people like her and respect her, she will be miserable. A wife needs honor and positive attention, like she needs air to breathe. A husband can be helpful, loyal, and bring home plenty of money, which are all good things. But if he doesn't also give his wife respect and loving attention, she will feel miserable, hopeless, and broken. He goes and says that the most important thing within a woman's life is honor. And how is it that we go about honoring a person, uh, you know, if you're married, your wife or your girlfriend or what have you? How do we go about honoring? There's several different things that women pick up on that we don't. For instance, the way that it is that we conduct ourselves among groups of people, how it is that we conduct ourselves among our friends how it is that we conduct ourselves within that of our jobs and just in everyday relationships with, you know, acquaintances and friends. Women go and see these things and they realize that they are a reflection upon them. Okay. And even on social media, for instance, you know, you go and you say something just horrible and do something just horrible. You know, the thing about it though is that First of all, considering that women understand the aspect and the idea of echad much better than us men do, they realize that they are bound to this individual, and thus, any sort of reflection that is negative upon that of her husband is a negative reflection upon her. So this is something to understand, that whenever it is that you talk, whenever it is that you act, Whenever it is that you do anything, it's important to realize that it just doesn't only affect you, okay? That is highly, highly important, and many people fail to understand this thing. They, they still see themselves as two different individuals, not realizing that there's a mirror reflection upon a person's relationship with Hashem and their wife, but also the relationship with others and Hashem. We just got, and, and their wife. We just got done with Shavuos, where the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. 
and the Torah being received at Sinai was God's ketubah, his marriage contract to his people, to the Jewish people. And so with that, we can go to the words of the rabbis of the Talmud. The rabbis of the Talmud go and say that if a person goes and acts like a heathen within that of the Jewish community, doesn't matter if they're a rav, doesn't matter what lofty position they have within that of the community, within that of the shul, it does not matter. That if they decide to act like a heathen, then they are not allowed to wear a kippah, they're not allowed to wear zitziot, they're not allowed to don tefillin, or do anything that is seen as Jewish in the eyes of others, that they could see them wearing these things or doing these things, because of the fact they have put a bad reflection upon that of the faith that was ordained by that of Hashem, as we see from the words of our Melech Mashiach Yeshua, who says in the book of Yohanan, the book of John, he said, Yeshuot v'yelochim is of the Yehudim. You know? And so this is something that we have to understand, that that contract, that, that, that covenant that God gave us at Sinai is our ketubah. It is our marriage contract. And so therefore... We can see, and many people in many different religious organizations, how it is that they end up going and doing something, and it reflects badly upon the community as a whole, whether it be a Christian community, whether it be a Jewish community, whether it be a Hindu community, whether it be a Muslim community, it doesn't matter. It reflects badly upon that community, and it defines in some small way in the minds of the individuals who are seeing these things happen. It's a reflection upon those face in their minds. And that's, a, and that's something to, to really think about even more than just our faith, but rather within that of the people in which it is that we are bound to. If you're a rabbi, your congregation, but everybody to that of their wife. This is very important. Rabbi Shalom Arush goes on here, says, Many husbands feels, feels that they cannot complain or, or compliment their wives because they don't want to lie, thinking that no compliment is better than an insincere one. How can you tell that your wife, how can you tell your wife that she's beautiful if she isn't? How can you say that she's well organized when she isn't? The type, this type of thinking is a mistake. Our sages tell us that there are many compliments that every husband can give his wife without exaggeration or phony flattery. And that's something to understand. There are certain things that each of us work towards. There are certain things in our lives, whether it be you know, you in terms of your study of a particular subject within that of the Torah, whether it be that you are an amazing chef, whether that it be that you are incredible at whatever it is that your job is. But the thing about it, though, is that these are the things that feed you, that make you feel good about yourself. A woman who is centered around beauty is going to be one that works on her beauty one whose focus is upon that of 
Their organizational skills will focus upon that of their organizational skills. The thing is that in every single way, each and every single woman in some way, shape, or form is beautiful. But it really depends upon how it is that that beauty is perceived and who it's being perceived by. Okay? Now, there's a story here about her beauty that comes from Rabbi Shalom Arush. And he talks about, uh, this is the story of Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon, who once came across an extremely ugly man and commented to him about his unbecoming appearance. The man responded, Go and tell the craftsman who fashioned me. What an ugly vessel you had made. Rabbi Eliezer heard his rebuke and was deeply embarrassed. He was right. If this was how Hashem had created him, then this was his unique beauty. So too, when a husband believes that Hashem created his wife to look as she does, it puts on a new perspective on her looks and her beauty. Being Hashem's handiwork means that she is the precise form and beauty that both ex uh, expresses the nature of her soul and enables it to achieve all that she needs, all that she needs to in this world, which includes being attractive enough for her husband. If she is his wife, then her beauty is precise, is the precise measure of beauty that it is that he requires. Every husband who internalizes this concept can tell his wife with full sincerity, you are truly beautiful. I love the way that you look. If she says you're just saying that, you can tell her. When it comes to the taste and to the attraction, everyone's different. To me, you are attractive and beautiful. The more the husband believes in himself, the more that he, he believes in his wife as well. The Talmud in Tractate Yevamot 62b lists all the things that an unmarried man lacks. A man lacks a wife, uh, uh, a wife, a man without a wife dwells without joy, without blessing, without good, without walls, without peace. A man without a wife is not a man. And this entire idea over here in this statement actually comes from something that's actually within that of Talmud as well, as well as the Zohar in terms of Gematria. And this idea is that you have the word ish, which is the word for man. And then you have, oh, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong, wrong thing there. I'm sorry. I was getting it. There was another medrash I was thinking of. The word for father is the word av. The word for mother is the word em in Hebrew. Okay. Now the thing is that when you take the gematria value of av and em, and you put them both together, you get the same gematria value for the name Adom, which means man in Hebrew. And the rabbis and sages also go and say that a man without a wife is not a man. He's just simply an animal. He is classified as an animal because of the fact that he has not received his soul correction because an animal goes and does what it is that he wants 
for the reasons of survival. There's no morality to that of an animal. There's no, um, you know, having to compromise with that of an animal. If you have gone and seen, you know, many baby animals going and, uh, you know, feasting on something, you see that it is that they are not, you know, trying to help the others, you know, make sure they get enough food. They are focused in on themselves. Okay. So this is what it is that the Talmud is talking about here when it goes and makes this point. This is an explicit statement in the Talmud based upon the on this, a husband could tell his wife again in full sincerity, you are the source of my joy, all the blessing, and all the good in my life. Without you, I wouldn't have any boundaries or peace of mind. I wouldn't be anything without you. According to this Talmudic teaching, this is no exaggeration. It is the truth. And men, let me tell you something. If you don't believe this, then you need to realize that the issue is within you. It's not within her. Why is it that it is that you perceive her differently than it is that you did when you guys were first dating, when you got married? What caused the change? And is it your own ego that is causing this change to say, I don't find her attractive anymore? Or, you know, that it is that I do not value her in the way that it is that I used to. Because that lack of honor, let me tell you something, they could pick up on it. They could pick up on that lack of honor. So it is vastly important, vastly, vastly important to make sure to connect with that honor that it is that you give to her and to realize that she is the reason why it is that you have the title of a dome. Why it is you have the title of man and not that of an animal. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 23, Hashem tells us that a ramp, tells us that a ramp and not stairs must be used to ascend the top of the altar of the tabernacle. The reason for this being that walking upstairs requires very slight level of immodesty, which is to, which is avoided when walking up a ramp. This immodesty would be felt only with the stones of, of, of steps themselves. But nevertheless, he told to be, uh, we are told to be mindful of this. We are forbidden to even treat the stones of the altar with the slightest disrespect. Rashi comments on this and says, now, if these stones which have no, uh, consciousness and cannot become upset, the Torah says, since they serve a purpose, we must not treat them disrespectfully. All the more must we be careful to treat our fellow man with respect, for he is greatly affected by our behavior towards him. For our purpose here is that we can, uh, we can say that all the things, more so for a wife, who is so insensitive and whose feelings are easily hurt. At times, guys, we really think that women need to think the way that it is that we do. You know, to have rational thought, you know, in many ways. But the thing about them, and this is not putting down women in any way, shape, or form. Like, again, they're on a higher mandrega, but they don't think rationally in the way that men do. And we have to be honest and open about this in our own minds 
of course not, you know, say, you know, honey, you're acting irrational. You know, definitely never do that, okay? Because you're going to be in for a, a world full of trouble. But the thing about it, though, is that her perspective comes from a different place than the perspective of us as men. It's almost like, you know, in many ways you think about school, okay? Men, you know, we're the math guys. We're the guys that, you know, follow the, um, that follow the steps to solve the problem. Okay. Now the women, on the other hand, they're the artist. They're the one who not only learns how to go and paint and to draw and to do all these things, but more so than anything else, they learn how to make it beautiful. They know how to make it individualized. They know how to make it something different than a color by numbers. Us men are color by numbers kind of individuals. Women, on the other hand, want to create something. They want to put a part of themselves within the things that it is that they create. And that's important to understand. That's important to understand. The Torah says, you should rejoice on your festivals. And our sages teach us that rejoicing, referred to here, is the is the consumption of sacrificial meat in honor of the festival. Women, however, are not obligated to bring sacrifices to the festival. Ah. The woman's mitzvah, a joy on the festival, is actually incumbent upon that of her husband. He is responsible to make sure that she has a good time. His wife's happiness is his responsibility. That is such a profound statement right there. That is such a profound statement right there. I remember uh, when my late fiance was alive, she ended up saying to me, she said, you know, it's a woman's job to bring shalom ba'is, to bring peace in the home, marital bliss. It's the man's job to learn how to keep it and to help it to grow. She was absolutely right about this. And so this is the thing that we have to understand. Think about this. Think about having the most incredible steak in all the world. I know you guys, you know, can think when was the best steak it was that you ever have. And I can tell you when mine was over at the Holiday Inn. You know, um, I, I was uh, the bar manager and there was this steak that was a bourbon steak that was just, oh, I've never had a steak like this before in my life. And I've gone to places like Ruth Chris where it is that you get a steak for like $110. You know, I've been to these places. You know, but this steak at the Holiday Inn, oh my gosh. You know, it was just absolutely incredible. But the thing is, that let's say that it is that you and your wife are getting ready to have that incredible steak. So you go and you order the steak, or she makes the steak for you. And you're sitting around the dinner table and all that stuff. And then some comment is is thrown you may end up saying honey why are you wearing your shoes at the dinner table you know you take your shoes off you know and all that stuff then that steak however is not going to be as good as it could have been as as it was anticipated on being because there is a feeling then in the room of criticism that came about after you know have you know having this time to where it is that you are together and could be having this amazing romantic weekend but a comment was made that tinted 
the entire experience. Okay? So this is, this is true in everything. Everything that it is that you do, whether it's having breakfast in the morning, whether it's studying together, whether it's, you know, going to go grocery shopping or to take the kids to school, all of these things are incumbent upon this idea. A husband needs to be uh, uh, constantly on the lookout for opportunities for, uh, to lavish compliments and kind words to his wife. Her good looks, her cooking, her ideas, her hard work, how, how well she does with dealing with the children and her housekeeping all deserves praise on a regular basis. Tell her how good she looks in what it is that she was wearing will always give her joy. The more and varied things about her husband finds to praise and compliment his wife about, the happier she will be. And you know what? The, the, the fact is that there's many more parts of this chapter here. And the thing about it, though, is that this sums it up. This right here sums it up. Think of how much it is, men, that you take for granted everything that it is that your wife does. Think about this. Everything that it is that she does for you and for herself and for your home and what she does for the children. Think of how how un ungrateful it is that us men at times are because of this. And it affects women when we are ungrateful for these things because they are put they put in so much hard work to make you a nice dinner. They put in so much hard work to do laundry. They put in so much hard work to keep the house the way that it is and to raise the children to become the individuals that it is that they are destined to be through that of your halakha, through your influence, and through the shalom that you should be given your wife. Think about all of the things that you take for granted. When you go and you grab your socks out of the sock drawer in the morning and you're getting ready for work, think about all these things. Think about it now. You get up first thing in the morning. You go and do your shakrit prayer. You're going and putting on your tefillin. Who is making sure that it is that you have that time to yourself to go and do that? To make sure the kids aren't pulling on you and all that stuff. Who is making sure of that? That's your wife. Then you go and you decide, okay, I'm going to go and take a shower. You go and you get in the shower and, oh, look, looky here. We got soap. We got shampoo. We got conditioner. Who set all that up? You know, I mean, whoever says, honey, thank you for the shampoo. I mean, think about it. That's something we should be doing on a daily basis. Honey, thank you for getting this kind of shampoo here. And... Then we go and we get dressed. Chances are your wife did the laundry. How often do we say, honey, thank you for doing the laundry? And then, you know, we go and we uh, go and have our breakfast, getting ready to go to work. Maybe it is that your wife went to the grocery store and got you your favorite uh, kosher turkey sausage biscuit for that morning or got the eggs. Maybe it is that she even goes over there and makes it and makes sure that you have your coffee first thing in the morning. Maybe it is that she's making sure of all of these things. How often do we fail to say thank you? And how appreciative 
we are of those things. Even if it is that your wife doesn't do these things, whether it is that your wife may work a job, how often do you say, honey, thank you for contributing to us and to our family? How often do we say thank you for those things? When we walk in the door and we see that the kids have their homework ready and it's all done, and we walk in the door and we see that the house is, you know, the way that it is that it needs to be. And we go and selfishly go and sit down on the couch. Do we even think about all the things that were done in order to make sure that that's possible? The thing about it, though, is that if we are aware of these things and make ourselves be aware of these things, then honor, honor of your wife is going to be something that is second nature. It's going to be second nature. It's going to take some training, however, to not take anything for granted. Rabbi Shalom Arush has another book as well called The Garden of Gratitude. The Garden of Gratitude goes and shows us how it is that we are so ungrateful for the smallest of things. As a person who's a, Kab, uh, who's a Kabbalah student, one of the things I can tell you is that even right now there's a thunderstorm outside. Many people may have had plans outside today. And they say, ah, I have to sacrifice my plans because of this thunderstorm. I take a different approach. Instead, I say to myself, first of all, massive rain goes and causes the plants to be fed and to grow, helps them to become fertilized and all these things. The animals come and they eat the plants. And then we go and we eat the animals. This rain was for our own good. This is all from Hashem. And also, if it were not for the rain, how is it that we would have our drinking water? How is it that we would be able to even have oxygen, considering that it is that we get our oxygen from photosynthesis? And then we exhale CO2 that the plants in turn breathe in. How often is it that we don't think about these smallest of things that it is that we take for granted on a daily basis? It happens so often, but instead we complain. There's an entire part of, over here about complaining. And we've already talked about this in the episode labeled No Complaints or Criticisms, Please. The Zohar in Genesis 43 clearly describes the obligation of the husband to honor the wife, to give her absolute rule of the home, and the extent to which he must shower her with love and honor. This right here is what the Zohar says. In the beginning, in the beginning of the Torah, we were told, and he brought her Adam, and Hashem brought Eve to Adam, and from here we learn how the father and mother must behave with the bride. From until now the father and the mother must do until the wedding day, and the father and the mother of the bride must buy her jewelry, prepare her, bring her to the groom under the chuppah. Afterwards, he must go to her. Afterwards, her husband must go uh, to her to untie, uh, to unite with her. And the entire home belongs to her because the running of the home is dependent upon her. And he must take permission from her. 
he must ask her for permission to lie with her. In regards and regard and regarding this, we have explained what it says. Uh, what is written about Jacob, and he encountered the place and lay down there in Genesis chapter twenty-eight, and he asked permission first. That he first took permission from her, and only when he did lie with her. From here we learn that one who wishes to bond with his wife needs to meet with her and to sweeten her with words. That he must ask her permission and to make her happy with his words. And if not, he must not get, uh, go up to her. If he does not do this, he must not lie with her, in order that the wills will be as one without force, so that their desires will be as one, with no pressure nor force. We see from the words of the Zohar that the husband who wants conjugal relations with his wife must first praise her and placate her. If he doesn't do this, he is forbidden to lie with her. If a man knows that he uh, with, uh, uh, will not be able to praise and compliment his wife, then he should not get married. If he cannot compliment his wife, he will never be lawful to unite with her. It is clear from the Zohar that the woman is the pillar of the home and that the home is under her carriage. The Zohar says this further. The Zohar says, And he took from the stones of the place and laid them at his head. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 11. From here we learn that even if a king has a bed of gold and beautiful quilts to lie on, but the queen prepares for him a bed of stones, then he must leave his bed, the bed of gold, and lie in the bed that she has prepared, as it says. And he laid down in that place, meaning that he laid down on a bed of stones. Our ego, at times, causes us to not want to lay down on a bed of stones. The finite things, the things that it is that are, you know, that are the creature comforts, is a euphemism here. In the Garden of Peace. It's a euphemism within the Zohar. Talking about how it is that things are not always going to be as rosy as it is that we want them to be. But the thing about it though is that we have an obligation as men to react in a way that is full of shalom, peace, ahava, love, semcha, and joy. This is the way that it is that we should react to these things that make us feel, uh, it's not really my thing. How often is it that your girlfriend or your wife has asked you to go and do something that you just say, I, I, I don't like that. I don't want to go and do that. I don't want to go to the play. I don't want to, you know, go and, uh, go shopping at the mall. I'd rather sit at home, watch sports, you know, or play poker with my friends. I'd rather go and do those things 
And so I'm not going to do them. The thing about it though is, men, you got to understand something. This right here, doing that diminishes her honor. Because in her mind, she sees it as though that it is that because of the fact that he refuses to do these things and doesn't like them, he thinks they're stupid. And so therefore, considering this is a part of me, a part of my enjoyment, therefore, by proxy, I then am seen as stupid by that of my husband. And so these are the things that we have to understand. We have, we, we are so used in today's time to not act and to work as a cohesive unit. We still, for some reason, see ourselves, Hashvi Shalom, God forbid, as being single individuals who are with a person that we live with, but we occasionally sleep together. That's the way that marriage is kind of seen today in the westernized society. And like again, Hasvi Shalom, God forbid, that is not the way that it should be seen. There is a work together of a cohesive unit. There are going to be times to where it is that your wife is suffering and you're going to feel that suffering. There's going to be times in sickness where it is that you have the same sickness. There are going to be times according to that of the Bible, to where it is that you guys are so much echad, so much one, that you feel each other's pain, that you feel each other's joy, that you feel each other's, you know, emotions and, and their experiences, and you're able to relate to them because of something that Hashem has put upon you both to both better yourselves. This is important to understand. Instead of seeing it in the negative, instead we need to see it as the positive. In the positive of that there is something that it is that I am not connecting with, that she connects with, but she is a part of myself. She was taken out of my rib, so therefore I need to find out what it is that I'm lacking in my experiences that she ultimately enjoys that I need to give a chance and I need to see this through her eyes as opposed to my own because a person who is not humble could never be married. A person who goes and, and prop ups themselves as always being right and only knowing what is good and all these things is a person who is never going to function within that of a marriage. They have to be able to work alongside in unison with that of their wife. And sometimes it means by going and doing things that it is that you don't necessarily want to. And the thing about it, though, is that this will change over time. If you're making an honest effort to be one with your wife, and through that, by honoring her, you are ultimately, as well, honoring yourself. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope and I pray that this teaching is here, here today has been a blessing to you and has been helpful to you. Next week, we are going to be going into the chapter. Uh, da, 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 da. Actually, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's called Facing Each Other. Okay, There's some great stuff within that chapter, and we'll be going over that next week. Okay, So I wish each and every single one of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing, shalom. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out 
HebrewAndAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.